to another edition of Journey of Hope. Glad you could be with us today. The Journey of Hope is a podcast that's especially designed to address the issues that men and women face after incarceration. John Mandala is going to be our guest today. John originally was given a 50-year sentence, knocked it down to 22 years, and when he got out, he accomplished a lot with his life, and we're going to find out how to go about doing that ourselves. Join me for the interview right after this. I'm Rodney Mathers, and you're on the journey of hope. Mathers, Rodney at Yahoo.com, M-A-T-H-E-R-S-R-O-D-E-Y at Yahoo.com. Drop me a line. Hey, everybody, and welcome back. My guest today is John Mandala. He's got a book called After Prison, so we're going to be talking about reintegration, our favorite topic today. John, how are you? Hello? Hello, John. You there? Yep, you just uh, faded out for a second. Go ahead. How you doing, John? I'm doing well, thank you. We're glad to have you today. Um, give us a little bit of your background. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay, well... Uh, I grew up on Long Island in New York and uh, had, a, had a relatively good um, growing up and um, spent 20 years in New York as a, as a young man, then eventually moved to Florida and uh, lived in Florida for quite a few years, got married, had children, and um, eventually moved back to New York. Um, and uh, unfortunately, it was at that time, that um, I was uh, arrested and um, ended up committing a very serious crime where I actually took the lives of two people in a, um, what they call a crime of passion, a, uh, a love triangle. Mm -hmm. And so um, uh, my background other than that is really uh, unremarkable. I had never... Uh, been associated with uh, criminal justice or anything like that. So to find myself in that situation was very, very disconcerting, unbelievable, and how did this happen? And um, so it was a, a very, uh, very different uh, experience, and I realized then that um, I was looking at spending the rest of my life in prison. Mm -hmm. And what we're interested in in this show is not as much what you did, but how much time you did and where and that kind of thing. Well, let's, let's start from the beginning. Um, I spent 20 years of my life in prison. Mm -hmm. um, I was in, in New York State in many different places. Um, they move you quite a bit in the criminal justice system. Mm -hmm. And so um, my first uh, real um, home was at what they call Sing Sing Prison. Sing Sing. Uh, Sing Sing Prison. Uh, quite a famous prison. Yeah. And um, one of the remarkable uh, things for me was that um, very early on, within two to three weeks of the crime, um, I had 
an amazing thing happen. The sister of my fiance came to visit me and uh, this was very, very shortly after the crime committed. They wouldn't let her see me. I was in the um, prison infirmary at the time. I had, um, I had tried to take my own life. And so um, I really feel as though that uh, my time to go was not yet. God was not finished with me because I had put the gun under my chin pulled the trigger and broke my jaw in five places, knocked out quite a few teeth, and then when that didn't succeed, tried to shoot myself in the chest, all with a shotgun, and none of that worked. And so she came to see me and told me that, in a letter, that God had forgiven her for many things in her life, and that um, if I asked God to forgive me, he would, or she would, but the hardest thing for me would be to forgive myself. And I sat in my cell reading a letter for hours and hours that I had received from her, and I realized that if this woman had the courage to tell me that she had actually forgiven me and, you know, I, I think God's timing is just an amazing thing. I spent close to two and a half years in the um, county facility and then eventually would go upstate and end up at Sing Sing. And then miraculously, um, I was um, involved with people that were Quakers and um, gave me an opportunity to do things that were helpful in making the place better. And it was kind of a blank slate, tabula rosa. It gave me, you know, the ability to see things that were not right and yet be able to change them. And so in the long run, as I look back at that time, I was able to earn a bachelor's degree, and I was actually the last man in New York State to ever get a bachelor's degree before the government stopped funding, which was 1995. Wow. And then um, in 1996, I was given the opportunity to participate in a master's program, and I was um, afforded the opportunity and paid for my master's degree. And ended up getting a master's degree from New York Theological Seminary in professional studies. And so in between all of that, um, a lot of different things happened. Different things in the sense of being transferred to different places, meeting different people. Um, one of the highlights was that I had the opportunity to meet Pete Seeger one time. Yeah. And Pete Seeger sang a song called A Little Bit of This and A Little Bit of That, or more commonly called Rock Soup, which was a story about a man who went into a town, and as he sat in the town, he found an old milk container, and he built a fire under it, 
and he cleaned the rock and he put the rock in the can and he filled it with water and built a fire under it. And a young boy came with no shoes on and a ripped shirt and said, hey, man, what are you doing? He said, well, I'm making rock soup. He said, rock soup? He said, uh, yep. He said, but boy, it'd sure be better if I had an onion. <laughs> and the young kid said, well, I know where there's some wild onions up the hill. And he said, I'm going to go get them. And along the way, he met his friend. And his friend said, well, I know where there's wild carrots. Before you know it, a whole group of young kids in a very, very depressed area of the Allegheny Mountains came back and brought all of these different things to this man who was sitting there reading a book. And they cleaned them and put them in there. And at the end of the day, the man said, now you all go home and get a big bowl and you bring it back. And through the cooperation and a little bit of this and a little bit of that, they fed they fed every family in that little town some soup that night. And so the power of community and people coming together and the ability of the uh, young people to help make the town more of a community was evident. And so when I say blank slate and my opportunity to do things, um, I took that idea years later and started a program called God's Inside Out Kitchen at Sing Sing. And over 750 cans of food were donated, and they were given through a group in a Rye Presbyterian church. And on Easter Sunday, in a very depressed area of New York called Port Chester, 140 families had an Easter meal. And it was all because of the story that Pete Seeger had told us. Interesting. Wow. You had a lot of accomplishments while you were incarcerated. One of those that you hadn't mentioned is you made it <laughs> 20 years. I did seven years and 11 months. I don't think I could have done one day more. Um, 20 years is a long time, my friend. Uh, so you had these accomplishments, and then you get out – and in your book, you have a lot of suggestions for successful parole. Um, it, are these suggestions specific to uh, the state of New York? Or I don't know why I've got Florida written here on my, on my notes, but are they just general suggestions or specific to one state? Uh, well, let me explain that. When, when I, and you know, um, 20 years was... Um, what they call a conditional release. Originally, I started off with 50 years. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I became, I guess you could say, a typical jailhouse lawyer. Mm -hmm. um, but I was in New York State until I was released. And on the day I was released, I got on a plane and came to Florida. Mm -hmm. I was on parole in Florida. Mm -hmm. And um, there are a lot of generalities in the book. And I think generalities are um, how do we be successful no matter where we are. Mm -hmm. And it, it reminds me of a, um, a passage out of the Old Testament, Jeremiah 7, where it says, seek the shalom of the city no matter where you find yourself. Mm -hmm. 
And so that was passed on to me many years ago by Bill Weber, the president emeritus of New York Theological Seminary, and the person who actually picked me as a candidate. But he was an amazing man. And, and you know, part of it was that no matter where you are, figure out how you can seek the peace of that place and try and make the place better. And so uh, when I got off the plane, I was in Florida, and I did have a home to go to with my mom. And my mom had literally waited all those years for me. In fact, um, something that really bothered me one time, I, my mom was saying to me, oh, you've got to meet this priest. He's been, he's been so helpful all of these years. And so I said, sure, Mom. And so we went to see him, and we talked for, oh, 20 minutes. And he said something to me, and I, I didn't understand it at the time, but I do today. He said, well, he said, now your mother can die. And I looked at him, and I said, what are you talking about? He said, well, your mom's waited for you all these years. Now she can go and rest in peace. Well, Mom, I spent the last three years with Mom. Um, and she did end up getting cancer and passing away from cancer. She was 90 years old. Mm -hmm. And um, those were some of the most rewarding three years of my life, spending time with mom, cooking, taking her to the beach, through chemo and all that stuff. Right. But, you know, again, God's timing. Um, the three years plus um, the last writ that I had done while I was incarcerated – um, lowered my um, incarceration from 22 years and eight months to 20 years. Mm -hmm. And those were the three years, two years and eight months, almost to the day that mom lived. Mm -hmm. So I had that opportunity to spend two years and eight months with my mother. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Boy, that, what, what a great thing there. And it, it almost defies being a coincidence, doesn't it? It's pretty interesting. Well, mm -hmm. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. I want to talk to you about something else real quick, John. It's something that we bring up here on the podcast from time to time. People that have done substantial amounts of time in prison, and I would say, you know, anything from about 10 years on, maybe I, I, I would even put myself in the category seven eight years, whatever, and then I had a couple of years on um, house arrest. Um, you develop, and I know you know what I'm talking about, you, you develop a prison mentality. In prison, if somebody looks at you funny, you got to stand up for yourself. And those kinds of behaviors are not socially acceptable when you leave prison. So you have to kind of rid yourself of that prison mentality in law uh, in order to have a successful parole. What advice would you give people to get rid of that kind of uh, prison mentality, I guess is the best way I can think of phrasing it. But I think I know the listeners know and that you know what I'm talking about. How do you get rid of that? Well, first of all, I, I think – um, education is the most important aspect of being incarcerated if it's at all possible. And one of the things that um, I'm very proud of is in 1995 when 
the United States government stopped the Pell and the TAP grants. Hey man, who was the go- who was was it the federal government that did that, or was it the state of New York that did that? The federal government stopped okay. all all funding for prisoners for higher education okay. in prison. Gotcha. Um, and so the, education is the most important thing. And so um, I actually wrote a proposal, and and I I learned to write as I became more educated. But I wrote a proposal called College Alternative Prison Education. Cape, and eventually that proposal um, was funded by a copy machine project that I was integral in getting started. And my point be, education is is so so important. It gives us the opportunity to make decisions. But on top of that, um, there's a program. I did not start it, but I was a part of it, called the Alternative to Violence Project. And the Alternative to Violence Project was something started back in the 1970s at Greenhaven Prison in New York <clears throat> with the belief that it's okay to get angry, but it's not okay to get violent. Mm-hmm. And the Alternative to Violence Project is now in 37 states. It is in 15 different countries. It's an amazing program. And so part of that prison mentality, which I hear, is very, very different when you begin to have some kind of community, even though it's in prison. And the impetus for that program, and it sounds so crazy, but um, a Black Panther and the Quaker got together, one being incarcerated, one being a volunteer, said, we have to do something. In the first 14 days of November of 1973, I believe, 14 men had been killed at Attica. Mm -hmm. Now, Attica was famous for the Attica riots. And what happened from those riots was people started to realize we need to do something different. We can't let this happen any longer. We're killing each other. And so um, the two gentlemen that got together um, decided that there had to be a better way. And they started this program. And the program continues to this day. Uh, Thousands and thousands of men throughout the whole country have participated in it. And on top of that, there was also another program that I was very um, integral in uh, establishing and and moving along was a program called Rehabilitation Through the Arts. It was actually a theater program, which for the first time, in many, many instances, a person could see what it was like to be a victim. So if, you, if, if someone wrote a play and the play required me to be a burglar, I would be the one that all of a sudden would be the victim. I would no longer be the burglar. And so now I experienced first ha- firsthand what it was like to be burglarized, to be raped, to be uh, hurt 
by someone. And that program, which is now in five different prisons, and quite truthfully, that original uh, CAPE turned into what they call Hudson Link for Higher Education, is now in seven prisons in New York State, has graduated over 1,000 men and women who have gone home and only 15 of them have gone back to prison in the last 20 years. Wow. The recidivism rate is unbelievably low. Excellent. And so um, not only did this program get started by funds that prisoners had saved over a 10-year period, mm-hmm. but Warren Buffett gives us one share of stock a year right now. Yeah, really? And his sister... <laughs> bought us a building where our headquarters are in Ossining, New York. And now we have a halfway house that we bought where men can come out, fix up an apartment for themselves, and have a place to live. Wonderful. So the things that have happened from that piece of paper are mind-boggling. And um, the ability to change people's lives with education, with theater, with a program like Alternative to Violence uh, have been amazing. And I really feel as though um, I was at the right place at the right time. But more importantly, um, the woman that forgave me was integral and given me the opportunity in my life to say, you know, I have hope that someday I can live out in the world. Because up until that time, I didn't want to live. I felt as though not only would I be hated by everybody, but how could I be forgiven for committing the crime that I committed? And so... um, I have come to find out that one of the most difficult things for people that are in prison and one of the most important things is that they must forgive themselves. Otherwise, they cannot move forward. Bingo. You hit the nail on the head. John, I'm out of time. Um, How do we get your book real quick? Is it on Amazon? It's on Amazon. After Prison, A Way to Succeed by John Mandala. Got it. And And, uh, on top of that book, you know, we didn't talk much about the book, but it gives a lot of different quotes, a lot of different things, experiences. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's definitely an experiential book. Um, And there's also a book, an autobiography that I wrote called Soul Talk, A Journey Within. Okay. And and that book is a little bit more uh, instructive on what that day-to-day prison experience might be for some people. Great. John, thank you so much for sharing. I feel like we just scratched the surface. I could go on and on with you, (laughs) but uh, we're going to have to move on. Thank you so much for being on the show, and I really appreciate it. M-A-T-H-E-R-S-R-O-D-N-E-Y at yahoo.com. Got an idea for a guest or a show? Let me know. I want to thank my 
guest today, John Mandala, and remind you that if God is for you, who can be against you? We'll see you next time right here on The Journey of Hope.